Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with Him. Now let's dive in. Welcome back, everybody. Deepen Podcast, week three, Philippians. Boy, it was awesome. This was awesome. Uh, I don't even know where to start. This was... Uh, the section of chapter one, where Paul is talking about to live as Christ, to die as gain. I loved how you started, Pastor Joby, when you had everybody uh, think, well, how would you answer that question? You, what is your best life? What would it be like? Fill in the blank. And I was sitting there listening to it, and I was like, I know he's setting me up. I know he's setting <laughs> me up. And I still I still took the bait. I was just like, dang it. Um. What do you think comes to most people's minds when you ask that question? I mean, like uh, comfort and pleasure, whatever you, wherever you find comfort and pleasure. Yeah. So, <clears throat> if it wasn't a sermon set up, I am thinking, even if I try to like baptize it and make it a little more spiritual, I'm thinking time in the woods, chasing an elk, you know, whatever. That right. kind of, like if I just had nothing else to do, but be with my family and hunt. Britt is probably thinking golf. You know, mm-hmm. Ben Williams is thinking about surfing. Those kinds mm-hmm. of things are, I think, where our mind goes first. It's just yeah. whatever brings me the most pleasure mm-hmm. is where our minds tend to go. What? So uh, when you say that, I feel the same. I mean, my mind doesn't immediately go, oh, to live is Christ. You know what I mean? So there's a temptation to kind of fake it and like say the right answer that you know is coming. How do you deal with that gap between what is the first thing to rise up in your heart versus what you know should be your answer? You know what I mean? Without being a hypocrite. Like, it seems like Paul is saying this, and he's legit when he's saying it, right? He's not not saying, like, I know I should. (laughs) You know what I mean? How do you deal with that gap? Well, I think, too, man, I think if you experienced it over time, you would find it so lacking. Whatever you think that life is. I mean, I can't tell you the number of people that I've talked to in the past, well, since we launched the 1010 Life, Mm -hmm. the number of particularly 50 to 60-year-old men and a few women, Mm -hmm. and they've retired, and they thought it was going to be the greatest thing they could ever imagine. They don't have to get up and go to work. They don't have to clock in. They play all the golf they want, whatever, and they are bored out of their ever-loving mind. Mm -hmm. I think it's like a four-year-old that thinks, if I could only eat dessert, Mm -hmm. Then after about your like third quart of ice cream, you're like, I could use a, I could use some real food. Mm-hmm. So Paul has lived that. Mm-hmm. One of the things we'll get to by the time we get to chapter three, he has lived the life mm-hmm. and considers it all loss. Right. So <clears throat> he's going to give his resume, right? He's a Pharisee of Pharisees, Hebrew of Hebrews, as for zealous, you know, all those kinds of things. Like he's had it all. And he was like, it was like eating dessert. It just wasn't, it was gross. It was just too much right. of a good thing, and it was gross. And so now his life on mission is the most filling thing ever. Yeah, is this this might be true of more than just in ministry. I know a lot of folks in ministry have their kind of escape fantasy, like <laughs> uh, be a truck driver or like own a Chick-fil-A or something like that. That's probably yours. I do love Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. <laughs> What's not to love? Oh, tell me, man. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I makes some serious money man. running Chick-fil-A. It's a sickness. But, uh, but I do think that that's the reality. You just get bored. You know, you do it for like a week and a half and then be like, is there well, anything the, else to the it? The key, though, to all of our brothers and sisters out there running Chick-fil-A's, the, the ones that I know personally legitimately see their operation as a means to a guy glorifying mm-hmm. end. And then you never get tired of it. Right. Like, there's always more. Yeah. You know, same thing with ministry. Right. Bro, if you if you are in love with ministry instead of in love with Jesus, therefore you do ministry, mm-hmm. then you can get fat on ministry and get tired of it too. Yeah. Same thing, man. Yeah. It's like you said though, if it's your functional savior, it will disappoint you. A hundred percent. If your retirement or if your hobby is a thing you're looking to satisfy you, it won't do that because it just can't, you know. Um In fact, I got invited to do a, a television show on the Outdoor Net- Network. The CEO of the company is a is a believer <clears throat> and listens. And um, he's like, oh, man, you'd be perfect, right? Because we've got all these 
And he had the he has the right heart. He's like, there's all these hunters out there, these conservative, moral Southern people that watch all these hunting shows. And he's like, and they think they're going to heaven, but they don't know Jesus, mm. right? And he's like, do this show. And I was like, no way, I'm doing this show. Because the moment that my the hobby that I have that like puts life into me, the moment that come becomes a job, it's over, man. Mm-hmm. And I want to enjoy it, not feel pressure to perform or mm-hmm. does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh well, so the first section of the the text, he talks about he says, it's turned out for a benefit. He says, My circumstances, my situation has turned out to be beneficial. Uh, and what he's talking about is being in prison. So it's bad circumstances by most uh, measurements. He says, well, this is good because people are hearing about Christ, the guard, and other people are becoming more bold. Uh, so what's another example? What's a personal example of you seeing bad circumstances turn good that, that maybe even in the moment you can say, hey, this is turning out. This is turning out good. What's the thing, Britt? Yeah, I mean, when I've when you first sent the question, I started thinking about compared to like, obviously compared to what Paul's living in, I've never had a bad day ever. Well, that said, you've been through it, bro. That, well, I, I've had a lot of sad days yeah, and hard days. Hmm. Um, never flogged though. Never flogged. Okay. Yeah, never changed had to the prison floor. Tick fever and almost died like three times. <laughs> I was trying to hire you, and so even for you to like that's true. Contextualize it that way is a gospel evidence, man. Yeah, I mean you got plenty to complain about, and I've never heard, heard you complain one time. Well, uh, I, I'll say this: that only in hindsight, in my experience. Have I ever been able to articulate the work of God in the hard, in the bad, mm-hmm. in the sick, in mm-hmm. the struggle? Mm-hmm. When I'm in it, it's faith. Mm-hmm. I'm just hanging on to faith. And whether I got tick fever and they're like, bro, we don't know what's going to happen, or I'm burying a parent, or I'm real close to it, or whatever, whatever the ha- all the hard and sad sick days that have come, mm-hmm. in the middle of it, I know and believe that the tomb is empty. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just saying that like because we're – like I got faith in Jesus, and so I'm just hanging on to that. Mm -hmm. A year goes by, two years go by, five years go by. Like the the countless number of people who have come to Christ. Somebody – Jesus has counted them, but other than that, they would be hard to count Mm. because my brother and I buried our mother of cancer as teenagers – the way God used that to form his work and character and call in our mm. in mine and my brother's life, we've now been able to participate in thousands of people coming to Christ. And I can't separate those two things. And so in the moment, I had no idea what God had in mind. Mm-hmm. But looking back over time, it's only in ever God's faithfulness. So that, that's how I... Yeah. Articulate. So that's what's remarkable about Paul. Okay, so I know I'm reading ahead because we're studying James all summer. And the thing that's wearing me out, you know, I get hung up on like a verse or two for a year. And so consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Mm. Britt, I'm like you. I don't have a real hard time looking back over my shoulder and seeing the evidence of Romans 8.28. Oh, God was at work. And I knew that he would be, but... Or Genesis 50, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. But Paul is like living out James. He is face, he is meeting the trial. Hello, trial. Mm-hmm. I am believing and knowing and seeing that God is at work in this trial. And here he's like, I can already see the evidence. Look around. Mm-hmm. And then what hit me is Romans 1. I just thought about this like, I mean, minutes before I was about to walk up. I was like, wait a minute. This is actually the fulfillment of Paul's heart's desire, which was go to Rome with the gospel. Mm. Maybe, this is a little speculation on my part, but mm-hmm. I think Paul's going to be okay with it. I hope the Lord is. He didn't think he, he thought he was going to go as a preacher, not a prisoner. Little did he know that it was the fact that he was in prison, that he would have access to a level of 
authority and influence in Rome mm-hmm. that there's no way he would have access to if he just rolled in meeting at the little house churches on the edges of town. Yeah. And I um I can't back this up historically, but you can't convince me in my mind that the the gospel seeds that Paul plants in the Caesar's palace don't grow into fruition 300 years later and the gospel explodes out of Rome to all over the Western world. Yeah. It's hard to articulate. Paul writes it. And when you're in those times, you know, whether it's severe persecution or just the storms of life or whatever, he writes it in uh, in verse 18, uh, end of 18 and 19. It's like, if I need to memorize that. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. There's a there is a confidence mm-hmm. that I've been given by the Holy Spirit that regardless of what has come in hardship, I I don't know, man. And I, I don't I'm not trying to like bring the wrath down or nothing, but like I think that's it. It's like I, whatever it is, it is going to turn out. That's right for the deliverance of the saints and. So the perspective of that, I think, is that where where a lot of the, the, my opinion. You said the word many times tonight in the sermon: freedom, 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 freedom. What what would it be like to have that kind of freedom? Ninety eight percent of that freedom is between your ears. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a perspective thing in your mind about the faithfulness and the sovereignty and the surety of God, right, to His people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about Paul, the I mean, sovereignty of God brought him to Rome because his appeal would have later been dismissed, you know? Yeah. The one uh, king, I think, uh, Agrippa maybe, says, I would have let you go if he didn't appeal to Caesar. Right. You know what I mean? So it was God's hand for sure. And uh, I had that thought recently, you know, that sometimes we want to know why and understand everything in the moment, but oftentimes it's in hindsight that we learn you know, but I think what 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 kind of mature faith would it be to be looking at something and then be able to have the same kind of assurance that you have looking back? I mean, that's look, man, the, the next the, level. The brother looks at Agrippa. You just said his name, so now my brain's in a whole other place. Yeah, this is the grandson of the Caesar when Jesus was born, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And. We go. I was just there in Israel. You're leaving tomorrow. Yeah. And one of the places we visit when we go to Israel is where Paul was imprisoned. Yeah. Caesarea Maritime. Caesarea Maritime. And he had this conversation with Agrippa, which is <laughs> Acts 26. Yeah. Something like that. Mm-hmm. And turns it on. <laughs> yeah. He, he looks at King Agrippa and goes, Hey, look, man. I just want you to know Christ. Yeah. That's what. It, that's it. He yeah. asked. So all of it. I just want you to know him. Mm-hmm. And you're actually standing in that place and you're looking, and this is right before the gospel like sets out from there mm-hmm. to the to the to the rest of the Gentile world, you know? And it's wild, man. You know, just a wild thing to stand there thinking about. You're in this old stone prison cell. And Agrippa's like, this this dude would have been fine. Yep. <laughs> you know, had he not appealed to Caesar. But had Paul not appealed to Caesar, he would have never been able to declare the. Paul's a different dude, brother. Mm. Praise God for it. What's interesting, man, when we, you know, the people that will be with me on this trip, they won't get to hear this because I don't think, I don't know, whatever. I don't know if they'll listen or not. However, through the wonder of technology, the ancestry of maritime, what I've done, we've been there together and you know what we do. So you're looking at the ocean. Mm And this is the last spot where Paul is in Israel because he is on his way to Rome. And you can, and I point, I'm like, guys, everybody in our group, Rome is that way. And Paul from this place takes the gospel to Rome. And through the all the things that God was doing through through the Roman Empire, through the World Wide Web, which was a road system, through Pax Romana, mm-hmm. the gospel spreads all over the world. And he took the gospel that way. And Jacksonville, it's just a few degrees difference, you know? Like if he was heading off at about like 11 o'clock, and then we're going at like 9 o'clock, and we're going to that place, and we are to take that same gospel that this man took to Rome, we're taking back to Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. And so... The deal is, like, put yourself in Paul's shoes. Who do you need to say, 
Just like he said to Agrippa, hey man, when I get I just want you to know Jesus. For sure. It's pretty it makes it like real real personal mm-hmm. there. Like your one more takes on a whole different weight. Yeah. I don't know if this is all the way right, but this was a thought I had when I was just there. Was there's kind of these two two moments in Paul's testimony through Acts where they're like distinct turns or moves, this being one of them, that conversation with Agrippa, and then when he has the vision, he's headed east mm-hmm. toward China. Mm-hmm. And then he has the vision and uh, of the Macedonian man. Is that right? It's in Macedonia. In this Mac- is how he ends up in Philippi. Yeah, and then he turns around and goes west. Right. Now, this may be a little speculative, so somebody can email me if they want about it, but if he doesn't turn around and go west, then does Europe get reached, or is it China? Hmm. Is it India and China that have been forever sending missionaries around the world versus Europe? You could even go as far to ask, if Paul doesn't turn around, Mm -hmm. is there an America? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because the gospel went west from there toward Europe at the at that vision. That's pretty fascinating to think about. I mean, who knows? We'll ask one day. Not that we'll care when we get there, but I'm just I was like when I'm standing in the place thinking, these are there's kind of two distinct moments where the gospel just like I mean, he did a few missionary journeys, but that last one to Rome, that was like a But it's the it's the one that gives us the book of Philippians. Right. I mean, they camp out in Macedonia, he has this vision, he sees a man across the Aegean Sea going come to me, he wakes up, he's like, Hey, listen to this crazy vision. His disciple group's like, sounds like the Lord, let's go. Mm-hmm. Two stops later, they're in Philippi, and he's leading Lydia to Christ. Mm-hmm. And we have the book of Philippians. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So great. All right, so verses uh, 15 to 18. Uh, let's get into this for a second, because he he talks about the the competition or the rivalry motive of, of, of some other preachers. And uh, he says, I don't really care as long as Christ is being preached. Number one, shocking. <laughs> For sure. Uh, uh, two, like, have, have you all experienced what he's talking about? How have you experienced what he's talking about? Like, you preach, y'all preach, knowing other people preaching and thinking, what's their motive, you know, and then how do you respond? You know what I mean? Have you ever had that same line of thinking about other people in ministry? I mean, you, you have some great stuff to talk about tonight, but... I would get into that, but yeah, I like to make the distinction <clears throat> that as pastors, we are warned to look out for wolves among the flock, mm-hmm. right? Divisions inside the house, but we're not commanded to go hunting against other ministries. Mm-hmm. The key there is as long as Christ is being preached. Mm-hmm. If Christ is not being preached, I do think it is incumbent upon the shepherd to warn the sheep that that is dangerous. Mm-hmm. That is not green pasture. That is not still water. Mm-hmm. You need to stay away from that. Mm-hmm. So, but there just seems to me there's a lot of competition, man. There's a lot of critics, and it, it is almost impossible to rejoice with a critical heart. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people. Their entire like air quote ministries right now, and all they're doing is trying to point out everybody else's wrong motives. Mm-hmm. This seems to be different than the way Paul operated. Mm-hmm. I think, and again, a little bit of speculation on my part tonight, sounds a lot like Gamaliel in Acts chapter 5, does it not? Mm-hmm. He's like, look, man, if this is the Lord, you can't stop it. Like God's in charge, I'm going to trust him with the results. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it say something, too, about the effectiveness of the gospel, that even a person with wrong motives speaking it out, it will have its effect, right? It's not dependent on the messenger and our I'm grateful for that. <laughs> for sure. Uh, but when I read that text, I think I think about pastors who you later find out, hey, they had some sort of secret sin all this time, but then people were getting saved under their ministry. You know what I mean? Like, for sure. Uh, it's like, man, well, that blows my mind. And, and and nobody's perfect, right? So we're on some kind of continuum of an imperfect messenger. But it is just wild that there can be somebody who is in gross, unrepentant sin in secret, and seemingly the gospel still moving forward 
through a bonus episode just on <laughs> how close I've been to that many times. Mm-hmm. See, seeing folks, I've been under ministries and in ministries and friends mm-hmm. who are gospel preachers who blew their lives up, making bad choices. And I've seen God use them in powerful ways, man. It's mm-hmm. a wild thing to get mm-hmm. your head around for sure. Yeah. You know, um, it's interesting what Paul says. He says he he in the text he doesn't actually talk about like your people who are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ while with this pet sin or with this. He says there's some do it out of envy. And rivalry. Like they're trying to ruin Paul's life by preaching. Right. Some people think it's the Judaizers because they didn't like Paul because he preached grace. Mm-hmm. And so they knew that, and they were kind of cool with Rome. They were like, we'll stay out of your hair. We won't cause any uprisings. But they would preach in such a way that would cause Paul to get in more and more trouble the more that they mm-hmm. preached. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, one of the things that kind of comes to my mind is like when people have picketed us, and particularly me, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I don't think they're preaching Christ. That's mm-hmm. the difference. Mm-hmm. I've got wide latitude, I think, for people that l- love the Bible, love Jesus, and preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, come on. Well, let's go. Let's team up. Let's go. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to be, I don't want to have a suspicious heart about God doing a thing somewhere that's not here. Mm. Right, right. Well, it's fascinating. I mean, he's he's talking about the 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 preaching of Christ, and we immediately go to put that in the context of the way we understand preaching now, stages and lights mm-hmm. and mics and the way the way just the way God uses our current. But then it was way more in synagogues and house churches yep. and man on the street. It's not well. That's a bad example. Considering not Man on the Street twenty twenty three, Man on the Street Jerusalem first century. You know these are different things. But it was you know it was a different mode right. by which they would preach and and declare. Um, it, but the thing he gets at is he says it's the the former the ones who do it for in, in, uh, envy and rivalry do it out of selfish ambition. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty fascinating to me and how true that still holds. It's like like the thing I'm most concerned about with is clicks or traffic or likes or, you know, you take a, a, a picketer where there's experiences we've had or what we're trying to do is drive YouTube views by standing against this thing. Mm-hmm. It's like out of selfish ambition, we're going we're gonna to act in envy and rivalry and opposition to a Bible believe in Jesus love and church for our own selfish ambition. Yeah, it's just when you, there are a lot of times when you see it, it's so obvious. You're just like, what? You know. Um, What's interesting though, Paul seemed. We're going to talk about this next week, but Paul seems to imply though, if you have a selfish ambition in the ministry, that's not really my problem. That's between you and the Lord, and he will take care of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God will not be mocked. And we have a lot of people, though, that think it is their own personal responsibility to police everybody else's selfish ambition. Mm. That's, that's like, this is, this is one of the freedoms I'm talking about with the Apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. He is free to be like, Lord, you got him. That's not my problem, mm-hmm. as long as they're preaching Christ. Yeah. So if you know a guy, and, and just for whatever reason— you think he's in it for all the wrong reasons. He loves the fame. He loves the lights. He loves the whatever. Paul would be like, okay, cool. Like, are do you know him? Are you if like if you love him and you're in this relationship and he has invited you into his life to say, hey man, if you ever seen some specs in my eye, can you give me a holler? Mm-hmm. That's one thing. But I don't know that you necessarily just start your own YouTube page mm-hmm. to point out the selfish ambition of somebody else. Mm-hmm. That is the world we live in right now. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to me. It's wild too, and I just for our church. One of the things that I, it's one thing for a preacher who preaches with a microphone in his hand or on his face. I get it. It's another thing for the person that's like a disciple group leader, or they're posting on social media that day, 
or they're serving or they're, and you get down on the motive level, the, like, can you do all of those things from a place of selfish ambition? Hmm. Right? Can you post Christian stuff online to your social media account in the motive, you're preaching Christ, but the motivation is selfish ambition. And where do you draw that line? And who does that belong to? Well, it belongs to the Holy Spirit of God. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is something that every believer in the world we live in to now, you are tempted to self-exalt around every corner. For sure. Our entire world is built, even our Christian subculture is built now to say, you should... Everybody's here so that you can operate in your gifting. Right. Yeah. So that you can do your calling. So that they're here to affirm your spirituality. Does that make sense? And it's like yeah. but that is not the prescription of the New Testament in my Yeah, and opinion. again, but what Paul does though is Paul leaves that up for that person to be dealt with by the Spirit. hundred percent. Because how prideful must you be to be the expert in everybody else's pridefulness? <laughs> For sure. Like, I am the one that can tell you you're not being humble. That might be the most prideful thing. Mm -hmm. Because if you were truly humble, you would never even, it would never cross your mind to confront somebody else about their lack of humility. Hmm. Because you would just think, hold on. That that's between them and the Lord. That's not that's not my my fight. Right. For sure. And they're and I'm telling you, they're in entire ministries, and that's what they focus on. So go back for a second um, about the people who have been in or under these kind of teachers or preachers that have blown up their lives or whatever. Let's just say there's a man or woman in our church who, I mean, I hate this phrase, but church hurt. Like they would say, I was hurt because I was in this ministry and I thought I was receiving all this great teaching and spiritual food and it meant so much and then this person this thing come, comes out about this person or they they leave the faith they leave, or they leave the ministry in some kind of messy way I mean I even had the thought like what do I do with all those things I learned from that person you know so you thank God for them yeah anything else that you'd say like to that person who feels like they've been hurt by somebody else's how, how do they sort through and grab hold of the things that like they should hold on to without Make, I, I actually think it's, 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 a, it's another point of pride to make yourself the center of that. I mean, listen, man, at this point when people go down, when pastors fail, they're usually my friends at this point. It's heartbreaking, man. Bro, so to think that you as a congregant are the one that's hurt versus just having empathy mm-hmm. for this man of God who is a sinner— and at some point, started down a road, and the Spirit of God said, whoa, 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 and this, this dude said, forget you, I got it. Mm-hmm. I mean, to put you at the center of that as if you're the one that's hurt, that, I don't know, man. That's, that seems like a, you ought to be praying for that person's family. Mm-hmm. You ought to be caring for the other sheep in that congregation. Yeah. And it does not negate any of the good things that the Lord has done in that ministry. Yeah. It doesn't. And I'd say that uh, m- maybe a a less mature believer is over-associating the truth with that person's personality. Sure. And maybe as you grow, you start to see, hey, the truth is from God, and it's being delivered through a person and a personality. Uh, but, you know, maybe that's hard to, harder to discern if you're a younger person, you know, that you, you you say, oh, that person and the way that they deliver is kind of like it's all mixed in there with the truth that they're giving me, and it's harder to to separate. Yeah, I think I always, when I sit with folks that have hurt from, you know, paternal or, or spiritual authorities in their life, and regardless of what it is, I think our, our all of our hearts are first. Let me just say, I'm really sorry. Yeah, mm-hmm. no doubt. And regardless of the details and all that stuff, it's obvious that you're hurting, mm-hmm. and I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And let's let's invite God into that hurt. And let's be intentional that God's—he's near to the brokenhearted, you know. Yeah. And and at the same time, getting patiently and to the thing that you say all the time—that if you idolize somebody, when they let you down, you will demonize them. That's right. And you could use different words than demonize, but that's—you know—you you will vilify, you will whatever the word is. If you if you took it too far and they gave a person too much power 
over your mind, heart, and soul, and then they let you down, as people do, you will take it too far to the other side of Correct. a lack of empathy, a lack of clarity and, right. and filter and, and you know, perspective on, mm. you know, because, I mean, look, man, you got to think about the kids and the wives and the and the family and the, you know what I mean? Like, and so they're, they're, the, the word empathy is right all in 360 degrees in that situation. Mm. And it's really hard when you're hurting to not put yourself in the center of the narrative. Um, but like you said tonight, and you were making a joke about it, but you were just like, hey, look, not joke, but making a point. You were saying, somebody, if somebody's on your nerves, pray for them, not about them. Yep. Pray for their kids. I'm just telling you, if you pray for them, forgiveness, total forgiveness will come by the power of the Spirit of God at work in your life. Maybe not overnight, but over time. If you pray for them by name specifically, even when it's hard, mm-hmm. just stay at it. And and so that's how that's the advice I would. And 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 I feel you, man. Mm-hmm. Now there is a big old difference. Um, I don't. I'm obviously not going to name any specific churches or ministries or whatever. We got a bunch of people in our church right now that feel hurt by some ministries that for years they have been invested in. Mm-hmm. But they didn't, these people that feel hurt that are in our church from other ministries, but they didn't walk away from Jesus. That's right. They may have been like, I'm not going to be a part of that ministry anymore because whatever, it changed mm-hmm. directions or mm-hmm. whatever. But they are now looking for a new faith family to get plugged into. Right. But the people that say they're walking away from the faith because of the failure of a person, they didn't have their faith in the God-man Jesus because mm-hmm. sure. he never mm-hmm. failed them. Yep. Yeah. So if... If the failures of any man or any leader could in some way lead you away from mm. Jesus, then I I don't think he was your Lord and Savior. Mm. You were just putting your faith in an organization, in a personality, in a person, and it was only a matter of time before you were going to fade away anyway. Mm. So the people you're talking to, these are bruised sheep, mm-hmm. you know? That's way different than somebody right. that's not a sheep. Yeah. And now they just have an excuse to do whatever they wanted to do to begin with. Yeah. Sheeps and wolves are not the same animal. Yeah. Or she- goats. Sheeps and goats are not the same animal. That's a fact. And yeah. so that matters a bunch. But yeah, I've had that conversation a ton of times. Um, and people are like, I'm new here. I'm a believer. I used to be a part of this. I'm like, all right, take a breath. Take your time. We don't want anything from you. We love you. When you get back on your feet, you should let us know because you don't you can't live in this forever, right? Because there is a great commission and hell is hot forever is a long time and we got a lot of work to do. But mm-hmm. we we love you, we care for you. And and even in that, we're not gonna bash that church or ministry. For mm-hmm. sure. We're just not gonna do that. Yeah. And let me invite you to forgive. No doubt. Mm-hmm. Jesus says forgive so that you May be forgiven. Yeah, man. Forgiveness is that like forgive. It's that thing you do on behalf of somebody else, and then you get all the benefit. Mm. It's crazy. It is, man. It's Matthew eighteen. Go there, read it a hundred times. Forgiveness is not a feeling; it's a canceled debt. Mm-hmm. I read a book one time called this, not necessarily on the same topic, but it's called Unoffendable. It's pretty mm. good read. But that's what I was thinking about tonight when you were talking about Paul. He's like, he ain't got no handles on that brother. That's right. He's just unoffendable. Like that's right. the Romans can beat him. And he just predecided by the power of the Spirit of God, I'm gonna love you, and you're whatever you do to me, you're already forgiven. Mm-hmm. That right there, that that's some there's some power in that, my friends. Yeah. That's that's the love of God. You're pre-forgiven. Pre-forgiven. You're pre-forgiven. <laughs> that's, that's a new phrase. Uh, <clears throat> all right, another another uh, crazy phrase here. You know, in verse 19 to 26, he talks about. I don't know what to choose. <laughs> Should I live or die? And that always strikes me as funny. It's like, why are you talking about choosing? Like, is he sitting there being like, if he thought about, if he if he decided to die, would he just die? You know, uh, I thought that was weird. But uh, you know, you you explained a little bit of this, Pastor Joby. What? Why? Why does he feel like he is at that point of decision? Like, what what contributed to him feeling like, am I going to die? Am I going to live? You know, because he does say. 
he could do either one. But what, what in his circumstances made him feel like he was at that? He saw those two paths so clearly. Well, he is in prison. Yeah. <laughs> and he's, do you think if he weren't a Roman citizen, he would have been dead already? Probably. I mean, it's, argu- it's ar- arguable for sure. Yeah. yeah. And then some historians think he does get out of here for about two years, goes to Ephesus, gets scooped back up by Nero, and then dies. Okay. So there's a little bit of, I don't, you know, but he is facing down the death sentence. I mean, Caesar can just do the, I mean, this is, this is, this is like gladiator, bro. This is mm-hmm. thumbs up, thumbs down, mm-hmm. and whatever he does, you're in or out. I, don't, I mean, Paul obviously knows that the Lord numbers his days, not him. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just a figure of speech. Yeah. But I think it's more like, well, I'm going to keep doing the things that you guys have said are going to make me die if I keep doing them, preaching Christ. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm going to keep doing those. Mm. And if I live... Great. Christ be exalted. I got work to do. If that kills me, no problem. This is the ultimate win-win. Right, right. I think it's more like that. Yeah. Not like it was his decision right. whether he live or die. It was his decision to do the things that would create his mm-hmm. life or death. Yeah. It's like he's saying that his love for Christ is so strong that he wants to be present with him, but his will to live is also strong because of what the love of Christ is compelling him to do. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating, you know? Like, I've been there many, many times. You know, I was actually golfing not too long ago with Rusty, and somehow we got to talking about the second coming. And I just said, I'm so ready to see him. And I am. So I don't think I get it on the level of Paul, but there are days where it's like, God, I just want to see the king, man. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. And and it's kind of like, you know, when you're, I don't want to get too weird with it or anything, but it's like when my wife and I were engaged, it was like I couldn't wait to get married for countless reasons. For sure. Mm. And... Sometimes I feel that way. It's like the the pause of, you know, it's the, the theological now and not yet. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, man, I'm so ready to see him. And I know when he's ready, he's coming. Mm-hmm. And and um, but I haven't walked with him for 25 years. It's gonna be it's gonna be something to lay your eyes on that face, man. Mm-hmm. I think, I think about that. I just think about the longing, like I, the longing is what comes to my mind. Is like the longing for everything to be right. You know, there's there's something inside of us that's just like when you see the wrong and the suffering and all the injustice and the greed and the tragedy and the evil. It just something inside of you says, "Can we just be? Over? Can we be done with this?" You know, and he's going to make it all. His kingdom is a kingdom of righteousness. He's going to make it all right, and his his peace will reign and rule, and that's the way it's supposed to be. And you feel it, you know, you feel that deep down. That's that's kind of. I definitely think the post Genesis three world we're in amplifies our longing for it. But even if you're in a season of life right now and you're looking forward to the temporary things of this world, like I can totally remember being in college and not yet married and thinking, mm-hmm. please don't come back yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> All right. It's fine. But that's the that's like somebody that's only eating sardines their entire life, and you're like, let me give you a steak. And they're like, no, nah, I think I'm good with the sardines. You're like, no, no, no. You have no idea what you're missing. Like, you don't even have a category for what I'm about to expose you to, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like that. It's mm-hmm. like we don't even have a category of the grace and peace about what mm-hmm. true life is, what abundant life is. I mean, here's a, here's a reality. Every second of your eternal existence in glory will be the perfection of the abundant life. Mm-hmm. Amen. It's crazy, isn't it? Like you'll never feel pressure to perform or pretend again. Mm. You will be totally and completely and rightly loved. That's that's crazy. You'll never feel that need to 
tell a little lie so people will think more about you. Mm-hmm. You'll never feel a need. Of, you'll never feel shame. Mm-hmm. Regret. Right. Nothing. And so when I say freedom a hundred times in this message, I'm not talking about the freedom to do what you want. Mm-hmm. Well, I do like the way Piper says it. Not that you sleep in heaven, but you wake up every day, do whatever you want all day, go to bed with no regrets. Amen. That's it. That's like all of your desires have even been made right. Mm. And everything you do and want to do glorifies God. Mm. That's great, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And C.S. Lewis said some version of this. I'm going to butcher it, but he, he said some version of, there's like an old adage of they're so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. And he's like hogwash. Yeah. He's like the more heavenly minded you are, more or less the 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 more good you'll do for the sake of the kingdom. Yep. And and I think that's kind of that's built on what Paul's saying here in Philippians yeah. 1 cuz like even as we're sitting here talking about it. And I'm like I cannot wait to see the man's face. The second face that pops up in my mind is my one more. Mm-hmm. It's like, I want him to see his face too. Dude, I thought about him the whole service. He, he bailed right before. Dude. Right before. But hey, it's all right. I was on the fence. Keep working to, on it. I, I was on the fence as to whether to do a salvation invitation this week and because of a lot of complications like in the temporary. Like it's a video Sunday and I'm going to be in Israel and... And I wanted to do like this hardcore thing, like not just raise your hand, walk out. You know, it's all, you know. And the thing that pushed me over the edge at about 7.21, I told the girls, I was like, go get go get Chris. I need to talk to him. Campus pastor here at San Pablo. Is that. I thought your one more might be here. So how cool is that, though? So he, he bails, and a bunch of people here at San Pablo got saved. Hmm. That's awesome. We're working on it. But it's just what Paul's talking about, like, I tried to say it poetic, it's, like it's missionally motivating right. to think about Christ's <clears throat> kingdom eternally. So I, I you know, toward, way towards the end, before I told the Elizabeth Elliot story, I tried to like poetically say it, kind of in a tweetable sort of thing, like, man, when when eternity is your aim and focus, the temporary will not phase you. Mm-hmm. It's that thing, mm-hmm. like you're trying to make that kingdom come. That will be doing on earth as in heaven, the more heavenly focused that you are. Mm-hmm. In fact, the reality is, is lots of people fall prey when they are so earthly focused that they take their eyes off of eternity and turn into this like Christless social gospel thing mm-hmm. that loses the gospel and it's just social. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> well, uh, in verse 27, he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Please. And uh, behave as a citizen, a, a worthy citizen. That it's right to the point of what you just said. Behave yeah. as a citizen of the next kingdom, the coming kingdom. And what he says is kind of to explain it. He says, being of one mind, standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side, and not frightened. So there's a unity and a fearlessness that's to mark that worthy citizen. And you talked a lot, Pastor Joby, about those three things that characterized Paul. That I think you're saying are available to us, the freedom, faith, and that focus on the gospel. Um, Why do you think he would choose to to talk about unity and fearlessness in the face of your opponents? Well, see, the thing was, here's the misconception about unity. Unity and uniformity are not the thing, man. They're not the same thing. And unity is not about me and you getting along. Unity is about having a common union in Christ with the same vision. Mm Mm-hmm. So like the the Jaguars this year are unified because they're trying to win. Mm-hmm. There's not a he doesn't talk about like how are y'all getting along in the locker room. That's not the point. The point is score more points than other teams. Mm-hmm. That's what they're unified in. Mm-hmm. Um I mean psychologists will tell you, man, the more self-thought you have, the more self-loathing you will have. The more likely depression and anxiety wow. and worry just the more you think about yourself. And I think we've really missed it in the modern um, kind of self-help movement of the church where everybody's just navel-gazing and 
just figuring out how do you feel about everything and all this like internal focus and you've lost the point of the church is to glorify God through the Great Commission and what's my role in that? Mm-hmm. And if all you, if all we ever do is sit around and talk about the way we feel, we mm-hmm. will feel worse. Mm-hmm. And we will begin to figure out all the differences in one another and spend all of our time focused on how do we make each other feel better versus... If you are on offense, just trying to move the ball down the field, you rarely have any of those points of contention because what you are a part of is so much greater than the part that you play. Mm-hmm. And there's unity there. Yeah, That's way different than how do we all get along yeah. and how do our personalities match and all of this. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, man, love covers the multitude of sin. Mm-hmm. So, of course, we're all sinners. We're going to get around each other. We're going to create friction because we're imperfect parts bumping into each other. And the motor oil to this engine that is the church is love. But it's not just that, like, I feel loving feelings towards you, though I do. Mm. It's that we are motivated that our goal is, our goal is Maranatha. Mm-hmm. That's right. Our goal is, actually, the Great Commission is not even a goal. It's a means to the end, and the end is his return, and the means is you got to take the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Mm-hmm. And the goal is we're going to glorify him, and he's just giving us the means. Mm-hmm. Man, <clears throat> this is why, man, people that don't even like each other get along so good on mission trips. Because they've got like this, mm. they've got this eternal focus squeezed into two weeks out of the place that they feel comfortable. And they're with strangers and people that personalities rub against each other. But the goal is so clear, it unifies. I mean, this is what Jesus prays in John 17. He doesn't talk about personality types. This is how you communicate to this kind and that kind. He's like, look, may they be one like you and I are one. And his Jesus's goal was the glory of God the Father. Mm-hmm. And it just it just funnels everybody into that kind of same direction. Yeah. And then you can overlook all kinds of personal preferences and things that get on your nerves because... You got the same goal. Yeah, New Testament, biblically faithful community is always rooted in mission. Right. Mm. Always. Right. Mm. And that's not it's not it's not instead of or in place of emotional and spiritual health. Sure. It is I'm on mission in the process of God sanctifying every part of me by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the more I learn about the broken parts and the weak parts and the struggling parts and the the weeds that are growing in the garden, the more I learn about those things, the more I'm able to be self-forgetful by the power of the Spirit of God. And so he talks about unity and fearlessness, and the the requisites for those two things are humility and faithfulness, or faith. And and humility is self forgetfulness. That's the. It's not thinking. Keller, he may not have coined it, but Tim Keller said humility is not thinking of oneself, thinking of less thinking of less of yourself, is thinking of yourself less. All right. And so self forgetfulness and. Man, what a gift. And you know, it's funny. It's like in parenting, I see this in my kids a lot mm-hmm. where I like there are these times and you see it like in your really, in your blood family dynamic, if God has blessed your house with presence and love for each other. You, see, I mean, you think about this. When you look at your kids, when's the last time you really looked at your kids and you thought, this is what I want for me out of you? Mm. Almost, hopefully, not often. I don't. I don't. I'm parenting my kids so that I get something out of it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? But like so much, so often, you can look in your kid's face and be having a conversation with them, and you're 100. Your only concern is they're good. You're not even. There's no category by which you're considering yourself. It's just they're good. And that's the invitation of God. And the, the pinnacle of that is that I, 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 want to, I want to look in and be about the, the face and the business of God mm-hmm. and not even be aware of me. I want to solely and wholly tend to him mm-hmm. and to his presence and to his kingdom without 
what I get out of this thing. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, there's a whole thing on Bernard Clairvaux wrote the Four Loves where we could get into that, but it's like the 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 most he argues the most mature love is. Uh, he's like, you would love, the third tier is like love of God for the sake of God. I just love him because he is. And then there's like, there's like a love of self for the sake of God is what he actually considers the top tier. If you can ever learn to truly receive God's love for you, you can get out of your own way Mm -hmm. and you can solely and wholly attend Mm -hmm. to God. That's freedom. <clears throat> and it's completely countercultural because we live in a world that is all about self-fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of, I mean, a lot of books in Christian bookstores are really about my own self-fulfillment via you. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's like, how do you help me not have negative emotion? Correct. And then, but the, but the foundation of the Christian life is not for self-fulfillment. It's self-denial. Mm-hmm. And nothing will cultivate self-denial in your life like difficult relationships, not easy ones. It's the difficult relationship that requires you to choose self-denial for the sake of the gospel. Yeah. I I had noticed that before, but when you were talking about the unity as it relates to doing something, doing an action. You just reread that and you start thinking about the action of it. He says, uh, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightening anything but your opponents. That implies that you're, <clears throat> you're, you're acting, you're moving, you're, you're pressing forward in this Great Commission work. Uh, so that's, that's so cool. Uh, all right, he ends this section, verse 29. He says, we've been given... Two gifts. And the, the first one, we're, we're familiar with it. God gives you the gift to believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes and amen. And also to suffer uh, for his sake. Why is suffering a gift? Like I said, man, well, Hebrews is going to say that God disciplines his legitimate child, mm-hmm. you know, and this suffering produces a, a perseverance, character, integrity. Right. Um, it's crazy the amount of times we're praying for an end result, and then we're asking God to remove us from the means by which he is trying to produce that result that we ask him mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. But, and this is suffering for for his sake. This is not—I mean, there's like a we live in a fallen world suffering— there's a suffering when that thing happens to you, like somebody dies or, you know, those kind of things. This is not what he's talking about. He is talking about as you are on mission, striving for the gospel, you're going to suffer for that. Mm. And <clears throat> like those pastors told us in Africa, man, it must be hard to pastor in America. We were like, what are you talking about? It's awesome. And they were like, it costs people nothing to follow Christ, and he calls us mm-hmm to this cost of being crucified with him. I mean, they they didn't have a category for how anybody in America mm-hmm. can be a Christian. Yeah. And then I laid down that night to go to sleep while they were praying loud and thought, yeah, there's probably not a Christian in America. I mean, <laughs> you know, like right. we don't... It'd really make you think about it. It totally would, man. I mean, so like where are we suffering? Well, that's a, I, I, I think it's fascinating to, to think about I don't think this is a speculative, speculative based on what what we've seen over the last 50 years in the world with the persecuted church. More Christians are persecuted in the world today than at any point in history, including Facts. under Nero. Facts. That's a fact. And so there's no question about that. And the persecuted church is so wildly joy-filled and on fire for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And growing and reaching people like no other church. 100%. They're way more. North America doesn't even come close anymore to sending the most missionaries. Correct. To funding. You know, we, we send a lot of money around the world, and it's a it's a, a money-sending force for sure. No doubt. But the movement of God in the world, 
the epicenter of the spirit of God's movement in the world almost always from Acts till today moves away from the wealth center. That's right. It is places like the underground church in China is booming. Booming. There are more people coming to faith in Iraq and Iran than anywhere in the world right now. There, Women are leading I mean, a Christian revolution in the Middle East right now. That's right. Latin America, I mean, in, in some of the yeah. developing countries. Are, so I just don't, I, I think God in his kingdom, from the Apostle Paul in prison till today, he has uniquely wired and chosen his church to flourish in suffering from the inside out. And Hmm. I do. And I I think that that I think that comfort and complacency and apathy and and is the enemy of true gospel flourishing. And the suffering, the suffering persecuted church, joy and dependency on God and the abundant life, truly, right? They they get it, man, and they always have, and they always will. And not to be all prophetic or weird about it, we're delusional if we don't think our day's coming. Mm-hmm. It may not be in our generation. It may not be in the next one. Our day is coming for suffering. For suffering. For for what what we're actually talking about when he says suffering, bro. It's getting closer and closer and closer. I mean, it is. Well, think- well here's the thing, man. The call to follow Christ is the call to suffer. It's not the call to success. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason is because it is going to be suffering that leads people to Jesus, not success. Not that a person suffers and then turns to Jesus. A person sees a Christian suffer and says, how do you do this? How do you do that? Mm-hmm. And that, and we're going to get to it. They're going to see the peace that transcends all understanding, and they're going to go, I want that. Mm-hmm. Not success. Can I tell a story real quick? Yeah, let me, let me just finish this yeah. up. This Super Bowl was quarterbacked by two boldly professing Christians. Have you heard any testimony of people coming to Christ because of these two high-profile superstars talking about Jesus? I have not heard of one bit of revival breaking out because of the Super Bowl. (laughs) But what you will see happen is people suffer well in the name of Jesus, Mm. and people around those suffering come flocking to Christ because they want they want the thing that is mm-hmm. that like fireproofs them from suffering. Mm-hmm. And that is Jesus. And and I'm not knocking the two quarterbacks, man. Praise God that they would use their platforms to talk about Jesus mm-hmm. and sure. hopefully they will continue to mature in their faith and talk about that, you know, it's not enough and all those kinds of things. But but that is it. Cause if if it's like the prosperity will never lead people to Jesus because what you really are worshiping is the prosperity. I don't love your Jesus, but I'll take your money and your car and your fame and your good family and your right. health and your mental health, you know? But what he's offering is himself. And he may bless you or he may break you, whatever. But you'll say, to live as Christ to die as King. Now your story. I'll, I'll tell it another time. Okay. It's Thank be- you, though. We'll leave everybody hanging on story time with Britt one day. Well, <clears throat> it's funny. You immediately went to uh, persecution, when you talk, and uh, that's probably the, the main thing that he means. Mm-hmm. But there's many different kinds of suffering. So what? where's the line between like, hey, what's suffering and what's not? Right? Because like, for, here's, an ex- here's an example. We suffer from our flesh. Right, it's kind of it's suffering to endure this body of flesh that always wants to go away this from Christ. Body right, of death. right. Yeah, so that is a war, an internal war. That's a form of suffering. So, how does somebody when he says, "Hey, you've been given this gift to suffer," is is the man or woman listening that says, "Hey, I'm not being physically persecuted. That means I must not be a real legit." You know what I mean? Like, how would you add some context to that person? Yeah, I was no, here, I'm not saying go looking for it. Right. I'm just saying, don't be surprised when it comes to, yeah. the, to the suff- to the church currently that here in America. That's what I mean when and I say. And earlier when he said, uh, I, "I haven't had a bad day because I'm not like Paul," and you're like, "Well, no, no, wait a minute. You've been through some stuff, right?" So there's a suffering of grief, a suffering of loss. You know what I mean? Do, yeah. do you think he means any of that? Uh, uh, for sure, in the scriptures, general in this particular, I think he's talking about because he says, "Like me," mm-hmm. the last verse that we studied tonight. He's like. 
engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that you still have. Mm-hmm. That means you got arrested because you're a Christian. Mm-hmm. I struggle with this a little bit, like just in my own mind. I'm like, what am I doing? Bro, here? I'm, I, I live an enchanted life mm-hmm. because of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like peace and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about like all my best buddies. This is our career. We get to do this. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. I'm about to lead a trip to Israel and eat the greatest shawarma and hummus and <laughs> be in the land of milk and honey. And I'm going to meet some friends from church I've never met yet, you know, because I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know everybody on the trip. And I met my wife because of the gospel, you know, like her granddaddy was a church planner. And mm-hmm. so, and I tried to sign up to go to the hard places. Mm-hmm. And I felt like Paul heading to Asia. It's like, nope, I need you to build a battleship, not be a Marine. Mm. And I, I mean, all right, I got to do what he calls me to do. Mm. But I have, I can get a little bit of, this is not theologically accurate. This is not gospel. I can get a little like guilt, a little preacher guilt. For mm, sure. F- yeah. Because of the life that I get to live. You know yeah. what I mean? I mean, can't, my suffering is like, oh my gosh, I had to fly to Ohio and preach <laughs> and then fly back <laughs> in what? Paul would have called a miracle that you would fly 30,000 feet here. My calendar is really full (laughs) discipling people. Correct. (laughs) What a bummer. Right. Mm -hmm. All cupcake. Yeah, I I mean, I I think in Philippians 1, he's talking about suffering in the form of imprisonment and and persecution for preaching the gospel. And he says, uh, it was granted to me. (laughs) I was gifted this. Mm -hmm. This is a gift to me. And so I, I just don't, I, I just prayerfully in humility, like sometimes over, over the decades, you hear certain Christians with an ideology. It's not a theology, it's an ideology around God would never ask me to, hmm. or I, I, God's not, God's, God wouldn't ask me to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. He Actually, did. I would agree. I would agree. Because God doesn't ask. That's right. The king just gives commands. He, he, he has never asked. <laughs> so it has been granted to you. Correct. To put yourself willfully and joyfully and humbly in very difficult situations for the sake of the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's a gift to you. Mm-hmm. So here's a one That's a way, different way to live, my friends. This isn't exactly what I preach and teach, so just pardon my hypocrisy, but I'm just going to tell you how it works out in my own progressive sanctification. Gretchen and I, like when it comes to making a financial commitment to the 1010 life, we want to give in such a way that it hurts. There are things that we were planning to do that we can't do. Now, suffering, we're not at that level, not even close. But Hmm. it's almost like, all right, Lord, so if I can't live in the edge of the Congo where I might be killed in any moment and I get to preach on stage in the air-conditioned and be simulcast all over the world, then I am going to try to live at a level of generosity that I never thought that that would be possible. Mm-hmm. So that is a way. Because here's what I do know. Because you're going to take that little bit of loaves and fish, which to me feels like a real stretch to give it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you're going to multiply it in the lives of people that are going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth as, mm-hmm. as I play my role in this season leading this battle, leading this aircraft carrier that raises up all the warriors to go out to the edges of the earth. And you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it does, it drives, it drives me. I can just, you talked about mission trips tonight and putting yourself in those spots, whether it's through generosity and stretching and giving and faith and, or physically putting yourself in those places. Like I was talking to one of our other pastors, Jonathan in Israel, we were together and, he was just asking me if I ever missed some of the like, because I, I don't do, I'm not traveling the world like I once was right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of that's just the season of my family and the role God's got for me. Um, but I, I just, in our conversation, I was just like, man, if I'm honest with you, it's rare that I ever, I've ever felt as alive as I feel 
in the middle of abject poverty totally. in the worst places in the world. That I feel most alive there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a little bit of what Paul's talking about. Mm-hmm. Like your senses are heightened, your dependency on God is staring you right in the face. Mm-hmm. Especially not, if you, you know what in, I mean. It's if like adding a little aggressive enemy to it, man. Like I've been with Levin Tyler, and there's some like local witch doctors that are trying to knock down the door to get in the gates of a coal refuge, and we're there. And I'm like, this is it, man. I mean, there's, I just feel like I was made for this, you know. Uh, I mean, that's that's fundamentally different than someone fired off a strongly worded email because they didn't like a joke or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, there is there's a freedom, yeah. In the like, yeah, this could be it. They could make it through the gate and stab me with that sickle I can see from here, but let's go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and. It has been granted to That's you. That's a fact, Jack. That not only do you believe, but that you suffer mm. for him. Yeah. You you alluded to this uh, a minute ago, Pastor Joby, but why don't we close with what it communicates to a lost and dying world uh, that people will be willing to die for Christ. You know what I mean? It, what... I, it's it's incredible that that's a power like that's the power statement right that any human could make of of like to to suffer. What does it tell you about the worth of Christ and the gospel? Yeah, I think most people would not say to live is Christ to die is gain. Most people would say to live is temporary comfort and to die is my greatest terror. I'm doing everything to prevent that. Mm-hmm. And so, if you are free, freed from the thing that you fear most, then you're the freest person on the planet, man. Mm-hmm. And so that's what an aim at eternity is. And then <clears throat> to take it one step further, like Pastor Britt alluded to earlier, and on my way to eternity, I'm trying to take my one more with me mm-hmm. because it doesn't terminate on me. I want somebody to experience this kind of eternal freedom that I have experienced. Mm-hmm. That's different. Yeah. Now you can get you can get like, pacified to sleep in this world mm-hmm. and you just don't think about that but you let somebody get sick or you let you let somebody's spouse run off on them mm-hmm. you let their foundations come out from under them or somebody that they love get an accident or something and they will come looking to the person that is whose whose life is lived in a manner worthy of the gospel or another way that's translated, who lives as if they're a citizen worthy of a different kingdom. And that's what I mean when they'll be like, I want that. What is that? Mm-hmm. I want that. Because I've, I've got all the, I've, I've tasted all that the world has to offer and it's just cotton candy, man. It's sweet mm-hmm. for a second. It's just gone. Mm-hmm. But you're feasting on a different thing. What is that? That is the draw. Mm-hmm. That's the eternity that God has put in every man's heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Reminds me of the words of David in Psalm 27. Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Mm. You know? Well, why don't you close us in prayer, Pastor Joby, because that's, that's, that's what we're about. We want to be the kind of people, and we want to lead the kind of church mm-hmm. that's full of, those, full of people that would say that, right? That would say that For sure. he's my treasure, and he's better than life. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are so good. And everything you give us is good even if it doesn't feel good in the moment. And you are so gracious that we have your unmerited favor, which just means that we bring no merit to this situation whatsoever. And yet you have put your favor upon us. Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, washed in the blood of Jesus, under the banner of the love of a heavenly Father, may we be the kind of people that would say, as for me, to live as Christ to die is gay. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. <laughs> the end. You nailed it.